Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... Where's the booze? I got robbed by a sweet old lady on a motorized cart. I didn't even see it coming. Oh. Harry. No. Harry. No. Come on, Harry. You're up. It gets worse, Lloyd. My parakeet, Petey. Huh? He's dead. Oh. Oh, man. Sorry, Harry. What happened? His head fell off. His head fell off? Yeah, he was pretty old. Oh, that's it. I've had it with this dump. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Michael Preston. Cook Center Hour. Back again for your enjoyment on what has been a unexpectedly full couple of days here uh, on the show. Theo Lawson from the Lewiston Tribune going to join us in a little bit to talk about the Idaho Vandals, this week's opponent. Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review also going to stop by to talk a little bit about our own football team uh, and some of the issues we're going to get to here in a second. And also the game they played this past weekend. We're not going to start there, though. Uh, We've had plenty to talk about this week, obviously, um, outside of that football game. Uh, Besides the fact that Pullman police are recommending second-degree assault charges for Shalom Luani in that incident at Domino's uh, last month, Logan Tago was arrested uh, for reportedly uh, taking beer off a kid or being involved in taking beer off a kid on California Avenue way back in June and doing it forcibly, leaving the young man with a concussion. And you also have two play, you know, players reportedly still involved in, you know, we don't know how many, two, three, whatever, uh, in a fight at a fraternity in July. It, it does. It's not as we've said before on this show. That is not a good look to have, perception-wise, public perception of the football team not being good. Now, Mike Leach, who did talk to the media today, we'll get to his comments in a second, or talk to them yesterday. We'll get to his comments in a second. Uh, you know, good or bad, and good in bad ways, like we talked about yesterday or last week, rather. God, I'm getting my things all timing all mixed up. It's been a really great week for me too. Um, you know, the play play the next play mentality uh, works sometimes. The same way that Mike Leach's I don't really give a damn what everybody else thinks mentality works sometimes. I don't know if that's really the case here when you have two players arrested for, you know, not, not things we can just kind of write off, you know, like MIPs or uh theron west was arrested for denting a car when he fled the scene of a domestic violence incident that he wasn't involved in i mean things that you know are relatively minor infractions we're talking about felony charges uh in these cases we obviously don't have all the facts in all these cases we just have what pullman police are reporting we just have what's being sent to the prosecutor's office we just have especially in that incident involving the fight at a party over the summer we just have what the witnesses have told the media and what police have said. Uh, Mike Leach was not particularly happy after practice on Tuesday. Um, He told the assembled media, uh, I think he actually read out a prepared statement 
Um, this is part of what he said. Quote, if the other guilty parties are not accused or charged, there needs to be an extensive investigation as to why. How in the world can only football parties be guilty in events depicted like this? It is irresponsible to this town, this community, and everybody to have some kind of a double standard where we only focus on one demographic, one group of people, and then drag their name through the newspaper with a bunch of irresponsible comments. Whoa. Now there you know there's always there's always kind of been that mentality and this you know perception that Pullman police do target athletes more than they would target students. Now I think you know we we all have stories from our time there of bad interactions with police where they're embellished or whatever, but we all have stories about them. I'm sure college students at a lot of campuses around the country do. But there is at least somewhat a history of athletes being targeted by Pullman police. You have D'Angelo Casto was that five years ago now illegally, you know, his case was thrown out because any evidence against him was seized illegally by looking into a window. They weren't supposed to be looking into or that they gained entry by saying that the screen door was a, like slightly off its track or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was uh, that Pullman police used to justify their entry into his apartment. Um, but th- this is not, you know, it, it's something we have heard before, but I think now what you're really seeing is you're not seeing a coach or administrator at WSU tap dance around it. He he just said it. You know, I, I don't know enough about how Pullman police operate. I don't know enough about all those things to know if they are specifically targeting these guys. And I think that's a pretty libelous and slanderous accusation to make it slanderous in this case I'm saying and not printing it but there's a pattern in the past of it happening and we have empirical evidence that it has happened in the past I don't think that it's a case of it being you know wide a widespread and constant issue Pullman's a very small town with a police force that focuses mainly on college students and they do that because those are mainly the people mainly the ones violating the law in Pullman. I mean, that that's just the way, I mean, that's, that is how it goes there. I don't know how many people live in Pullman when the students aren't there, but I know Pullman police, Washington State police, the Washington State Patrol, and the Whitman County Sheriff's Office are all focusing on the students because that is who is committing most of the crime. That's, that's how it is. Leach also went on to say, many of the statements are incomplete or totally false. I'm going to do what I should have done in the first place, which is presume them innocent until proven guilty. So it sounds like Leach has decided that he should have been doing something else in the first place, which was not punishing players who have not been convicted of anything and who have not, you know, or agreed to plea deals or whatever. That it sounds like to me, based off of that, that Logan Taco is going to play this weekend. And again, we have not had a coach or an administrator come out and say something like that, but it's it's a pretty serious accusation to be leveling at a police department. You know, we like I said, we all have some, you know, anecdotal evidence in our own time at WSU. We have one case with D'Angelo Castro where there really was a big problem in that case. We all have some anecdotal evidence. But I think to make an accusation like that is a pretty big step above what we have normally or would normally see.
uh, from anybody involved with the university. So we're dealing with all that, and it's made worse by the fact that I don't think this would be nearly as bad if you didn't also have a football team that was 0-2. I think we can probably all agree on that. Uh, we'll get, Let's talk now about that football game they played this last weekend in Boise. Let's get to the actual football at hand. Um, you know, I it sucked to get punched right in the gut again on that first drive. Luke Falk throws that pick six and it did, you know, it did feel like the game was, was over a little bit at that point. I mean, that you all just kind of looked at that and went, good Lord, really did I really have to just get kicked straight in the groin on the opening drive of the game? I mean, that, that sucked big time. To credit to them though. Again, they did what they were famous for doing last year, rallying and, not paying attention to the scoreboard. And again, this is where that play, the next play mentality comes in for Mike Leach. Don't look at the scoreboard. Don't look at the time. Worry about the next play. Don't worry about the situation. It comes into play really nicely when you're down that much to an opponent like Boise State, not like Eastern the week before where this is, you know, this is Boise State's most important game of the year. They're playing their best non-conference opponent. Their conference probably not going to be too strong. Maybe outside of BYU, that is another non-conference opponent. But Mountain West isn't going to be very strong. The teams are playing not going to be very strong. They needed to make a statement in this game. And I can assure you there was no one more disappointed that WSU lost to Eastern, maybe except for WSU fans, than Boise State fans. What does that do to WSU's, you know, what does that do to Boise's strength of schedule? That doesn't help them. But again, WSU played the next play. Luke Falk looked, boy, he looked like Portland State Rutgers game Luke Falk in the first half. He looked a little better in the second half when he finally started getting that ball downfield. You saw that long completion to River Craycraft, the long completion to Gabe Marks, the long completions to Tavares Martin, who, by the way, what a ball game for the young man from Florida. Boy, did he step up in a big way. It's like 11 receptions, something like that, 150 yards of receiving. What a stupendous game for him. Wow. But Falk finally started throwing down the field in the second half. I think the yards per attempt average difference was something like three and a half different between the halves. He was hovering around five in the first half and like eight and a half in the second half. That's what you want to see. You want to see those eight and a half yards per, per attempt. And sure, he completed over 70% of his passes. But he had to throw the ball over 70 times to rack up 400 and some odd yards of passing. It's not how you want to do that. He only averaged in the area of six and two-thirds of a yard per attempt, six and two-thirds yards per attempt. That's just not very good in this, especially in this offense where you need to be going downfield. Luke Falk has regressed a little bit from where we saw him in that Colorado game before he got hurt and where we saw him at least in the first half against Miami. I'll give him a wash in the Sun Bowl because the weather was just so nuts in that one. But for this offense to really start clicking and really start moving the ball again against defenses that are better than Eastern Washington's, they they need Luke Falk to be Luke Falk. They need to be that Luke Falk we got in the middle of last year, the guy who was not afraid to throw it downfield, the guy who wasn't afraid to chuck it 30 yards to Gabe Marks in the Rose Bowl. That's the guy you need behind center. That's who you need out there. The guy checking into runs better. When Boise State's only rushing three guys, you need that Luke Falk out there. That's who you need. The defense on the other, boy, what an improvement apparently Shalom Luani made. He did have two picks, 
Charleston White had another one running onto the field late. I'm amazed he picked that pass off. Although I th- maybe did uh, Alex Grinch run him on the field a little late there? Uh, you made me think that. Kind of looked that way to me a little bit. Kind of looked that way to me a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. It's probably not. But defense played much better on Saturday, only giving up 24 points. We won't include that pick six. Uh, Luke Falk threw. Uh, only giving up 24 points to a pretty good Boise State offense uh, with a good quarterback and a good running back and good wide receivers. They stepped up in a big way. I mean, Boise State still got some big plays on them, but really did a good job limiting them uh, and holding them to 24 points, which, again, uh, if you're Washington State, we had this we had this problem last, you know, different problem the week before. Offense scored enough points, and you think your defense should be able to hold Eastern Washington to less than 42 Defense holds Boise State to 24 points. You think your offense would give up or be able to score more than that. And sure, they did, but the problem was they also had a pick six. And again, that, you know, it it just kind of comes into now needing to put it all together this week against the Idaho Vandals. 0-2 is not a good result through the first two games. I was expecting 1-1, hoping for 2-0. And based on how they played in the second half, there was no reason WSU could not have beaten Boise State in that game. No reason at all that they couldn't have won that football game. I mean, that's 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 probably the most disappointing thing. And now you're at 0-2. You need to beat Idaho. And I, I think you really need to do it convincingly. And, I mean, you need to put your foot down on the gas pedal and not stop until the car runs out of gas. Full tank, keep going, all 400 miles. I mean, this is your next-door neighbor. This is a team that you do not lose to. This is a team that is not as good as Eastern Washington, I think. This is a team that got absolutely molly-whooped by your rival last weekend. You need to do the same thing to them to restore some confidence, not just for yourself, but I think for your fan base. I know it's stupid and I platitudes about, oh, you need to make the fan base more confident. You need to, you know, you need to make them happy. Yeah, I know. It's just they're players, but it would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be kind of nice to see them do that. Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review coming up next here on the Coop Center Hour. Lawson from the Lewiston Tribune going to join us here in a little bit. We sit down with our own uh, beat writer from the Spokesman Review, though, now. Friend of the show, friend of me, I think. I think he likes me. I think he does anyway. Uh, Mr. Jacob Thorpe joins us. Uh, it's been an interesting week or so, to say the least, Jacob. Uh, we heard Shalom Luwani was still going to have some charges pressed against him. 
WSU goes to BSU, almost pulls one out against the Broncos. We'll get to that in a little bit. And then on Monday, Logan Tago was arrested for an incident in June. And Mike Leach talked to the media on Tuesday about, you know, what he perceived as kind of the unfair treatment of players by Pullman police. And I talked about it in the opening, but did it kind of surprise you that even for as outspoken as Mike Leach uh, can tend to be on some topics that he would kind of choose this to be outspoken on just kind of given, you know, the potential problems that could crop up from doing that? Well, it certainly makes you wonder because it was very much a premeditated move, right? He had everything written down. Uh, it was clearly a statement he'd spent some time on and clearly something he felt very passionate about. Uh, you know, Leach is a, is a smart guy and he understands how these things play out. And I think, uh, you wonder exactly what was he trying to accomplish. Well, uh, I think he did want to put some scrutiny on the Pullman Police Department. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, I, I think in his mind, um, he wanted to put some scrutiny on the media and question why, uh, despite the fact that, you know, as we all know, these uh, players are public figures in the way that a normal student's not. Why was so much of the focus being on the, these parties who are football players? And I think it's reasonable to think that maybe he also wanted to uh, send a, a statement to his players and show that, uh, you know, he, he does have their back uh, a day after, you know, really sort of uh, throwing them under the bus a little bit, dragging them through the mud uh, just uh, somewhat with his uh, comments about their toughness and their uh, their intelligence. Uh, you know, I think maybe mm-hmm. the day after he said that uh, players have no ability to retain the information that they've been given, it's it wasn't a terrible idea for him to uh, show them that he still does support them. So uh, a, a lot coming out of that statement, obviously, and uh, without trying to uh, determine his intent, there's a, a lot of ways you can read it. So based on what he said yesterday, Jacob, I mean, I, I think you tweeted this out as well, just kind of, you know, him saying now we're kind of letting it play out. We saw Shalom Luwani suspended uh, for the Eastern game, or what we think was. They never really, you know, said one way or another, but I think we can all kind of gloss that that was the case. Uh, we kind of expect Logan Tago to play this weekend just because of what Mike Leach said uh, earlier this week, right? That he's going to respect uh, the the legal process and let these things play out a little bit more. Right, and, and, and Leach is giving himself a... Basically, he's giving himself a jury standard of proof, uh, innocent until proven guilty, whereas in terms of charging... And in terms of, frankly, what, what most coaches do in terms of punishment, they use more the standard of a preponderance of evidence. Uh, I think Logan Tago is a great example. Uh, from talking to the, the police today, from, uh, from what we've been able to gather, Tago has actually confessed to uh, both punching someone and taking that person's beer, which, uh, you know, that does violate one of the three rules. Like stealing is walking up to someone and stealing their beer. But uh, Leach seems to be giving himself the complete and uh, total uh, innocent until proven guilty timeline, which is his, uh, you know, that's his uh, right to do. But uh, yes, to answer the, the question, I, I do expect Logan Tago to mm-hmm. play on Saturday. He's, he's been at practice, and it would uh, be fairly surprising at this point if something changed with regards to his status. Uh, as far as Luani, no, we, we, we don't know that he was suspended. It's certainly possible to think that if there was this fight and he was jumped by six or seven people, as uh, Leach said yesterday, that perhaps he was injured. Maybe he sustained a concussion or something like that in the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also possible to think that he um, 
was suspended, although given that Tago is not being suspended, perhaps that's uh, that doesn't make so much sense anymore. Right. Let's talk about actual honest-to-God football here. I think we've all spent a lot of time on this, but uh, a game where I, I think a lot of us kind of came away with Jacob in Boise that, you know, that, that was a winnable football game, uh, given that you're only down a touchdown at halftime, and just kind of the way you continued to play after that, it, it almost seemed like, Washington State was responsible for giving that game to Boise State. They managed the game a little poorly in the last 10 minutes at BSU, but it, it, it almost seemed like Washington State was the better team there. That's not you know great from a moral victory standpoint, but is that kind of the feeling you got from watching that game, that it kind of seemed like Washington State played better, but it, it kind of fell more on them for giving the game away a little bit? Well, I don't know. that I, I, I do think that it seemed like they had a real good shot at the end. And mm-hmm. they've got to be kicking themselves for the way that they kept crossing the 50 and, and not being able to take advantage of it. But, uh, you know, Bo- Bo- Boise also had a lot going right. Uh, the, the Cougars really struggled to to cover Spurbeck at wide receiver, Jeremy McNichol at running back. And Boise State had a pretty healthy lead entering the fourth quarter there. I'm sure Boise State fans felt like it was, uh, it was was everything was going very well. And why are you throwing the ball at the end zone when you're up and trying to help the block and then Charleston White can pick it off? So, you know, I think mm-hmm. I think both teams had a lot that they uh, really felt like they could have done better in that game. You have to wonder how close the game is, really, when if uh, if a very good All-Mountain West quarterback in Brett Rippon doesn't throw two fairly head-scratching interceptions, the first of which led to Washington State's only points in the first half. You know, the, the Cougars were very close to getting shut out in the first half after that blocked field goal. Mm-hmm. I think uh, if you're a Boise State fan, you would say, no, we didn't get outplayed. We almost shut them out in the first half. So, you know, I, I think there's a, a lot both teams would have liked to have done differently. Mm-hmm. But it, it didn't really seem like for most of the second half, at least, that uh, Boise State wasn't much losing. It wasn't much danger of losing the game, at yeah. least to me. On Monday... On Monday, Mike Leach kind of lamented, uh, maybe not even kind of lamented, he did lament uh, his team's quote-unquote toughness, I think, uh, kind of berating them a bit for that uh, at his press conference. But he also did take at least, I think, some responsibility for maybe not communicating that message properly. But at least it seemed to me that in saying that, that he, you know, it was kind of a backhanded way of saying, you know, we need to teach them better. We just can't assume they know everything, but he does kind of want to assume that by this point in their football career, they know everything uh, that, that seemed to me to be, you know, maybe a little bit of a weird statement coming out of that game when they did battle back a little bit, but was, was he really and truly that unhappy with it? Was that kind of what you got from him or was it again, just trying to send a different message than what we got the next day when it came to the police department? My read on Monday was, that yes, he, he is very frustrated with the players, uh, particularly given that that came with a Sunday to cool off after you know his immediate post-game reaction. And, and yes, he, he puts the blame on the coaching staff, and he prefaced all of his statements by saying, uh, and it's on us as coaches to make sure that they you know aren't so stupid, that they aren't so mentally non-tough. But it, it's the same, you know, at the same time, and that's kind of like the old... Uh, no offense or, uh, you know, don't take this personally. But uh, at the same time, he, you know, he's, he's still saying, uh, he's still very much questioning their toughness. He's very much questioning their ability to retain information, to to react to coaching. And he's certainly very frustrated with what, as he described, was lessons that we learned last year that we're having to relearn over again. So while I think 
you know, he, he certainly acknowledges that it's the role of the coach to prepare the players better. I, I think he is kind of shocked at how uh, mm-hmm. little they've taken to instruction, let's say. Luke Falk looked a lot better uh, in the second half against Boise State, and I think we all kind of just kind of came to the conclusion, and I, you know, tell me if this is right or wrong. You were sitting in the press box, and you can see he was going downfield a lot more and, you know, finally kind of stretching out the Boise State defense and not letting them sit down on those short dunk-down routes. But he, he got a lot better in the second half. We've kind of seen Luke Falk become early 2015 Luke Falk again early in the season, haven't we, Jacob? He's not quite that same guy we saw before he got knocked out against Colorado uh, near the end of last season. Well, what, what, what I think you're seeing, Michael, is I think what, what this actually translates to and what's happening on the field is that you know the Cougars have a read-based offense. He, he looks at his first receiver, his second receiver, his third receiver, his fourth, and then the check down. And it's, it's not a situation where he's reading the defense and anticipating, okay, well, based on what I'm seeing, I think someone's going to be open there, so I'm firing there. He's, he's going through his reads. And I think what we've seen through Luke Falk in the first six quarters of football this year was that he's become pretty reluctant to take anything that isn't wide open. He he thinks players are covered when they're when it's a kind of a 50-50 ball. To him, that wasn't open. And what I think potentially Leach told him at halftime, or what we started to see from him in the second half, was saying, look, Gabe Marks is a Bolitnikoff semifinalist wide receiver. That guy is a defensive back who couldn't catch the ball well enough to play wide receiver. Right. And he has to react to the wide receiver. So if the guy looks kind of covered, throw it and trust your wide receivers. Uh, that was something you really saw a lot from Connor Halliday. And of course, the trade-off of Connor Halliday was, well, he threw more interceptions. But you also saw Connor Halliday threw a lot more passes to, to River Craycraft on those third downs. He'd catch him in traffic and keep the drive moving because Craycraft is very good in traffic. Uh, you saw him throwing it up, uh, you know, deep to Vince Maley and letting him go get it. And we saw more of that last year from Luke. You know, you, everyone can think of a lot of uh, very impressive uh, touchdowns Gabe had in, mm-hmm. the, uh, in the end zone. Somebody draped all over him. Bulk hadn't really been throwing those passes with a player draped all over Martin. Deep ball to Tavares, Martin. Mm-hmm. And you saw him throw that 33-yarder to Gabe Marks, who caught it with someone draped all over him. And so that stuff just opens up the offense a lot more. That's going to get easier for the running backs because when you're just continually peppering them with those, you know, tight balls and or the, with those little checkdowns to the running back, well, they consider those passes runs. This is really a this had turned into an offense so it was just like it ran the ball every time and they never passed it. Right now they're an offense that passes and runs. Upcoming this weekend, I don't know. Wow, I couldn't even think of a word there. Coming up this weekend, uh, the Cougs are playing the Idaho Vandals, and I, I, I said before the season started, I think that Eastern might actually be a better team than Idaho. That might be a bit outlandish on my part, but Idaho is, is, is still struggling, and they're going to be going down to FCS uh, next year. Do you think they kind of view this as an opportunity, the, the Cougars, Jacob, to really get back on track? Because they really need a confidence-building win. They really need to kind of they need to put their foot down on the gas pedal, so to speak, and not stop until the tank is empty, don't they? Well, well, Michael, I, I don't think yeah, that was outlandish. I think if the two teams played today, Eastern would be favored by a couple touchdowns. Yeah. But I, I don't think this is nearly the challenge Eastern was. But I think it's a challenge to the Cougars because I do think they need to come out and put together a complete game. They need to be firing on all, all cylinders. The line right now is, I think, 25 and 
frankly, I don't think a 25-point win would be considered that great of a victory heading into a bye week where you've got to get yourself ready to play Oregon at Stanford, UCLA at ASU. Mm-hmm. You know, you beat Idaho, and, but all of a sudden one and six is still a very real possibility unless you become a much better football team. The only right. way I think you hit into that bye week really you know, sure of yourself, really confident that you're doing the right thing is if you come out and just paste them. You know, something like forty. You know, another forty-nine to nothing game. Then, yeah, then everything's turned around, and the the, the fans have two weeks to feel good, mm-hmm. and uh, the team has two weeks to really feel like it's heading the right track. Mm-hmm. You come out and have a kind of a, a weak first quarter, or it's like seven to seven at the end of one, and you, you win, you know, thirty-eight to twenty-four. Uh, I'm not sure that's what this team needs right now. Yeah. They obviously are going to be familiar with Mike Bresky, and we're going to talk to Theo a little bit uh, about this. But I, I think it at least gives them some advantage to know what they're basically know what they're going to be getting out of the defense uh, this week. Do you do you kind of see it that way too? That it, you know maybe they do need a, a big win in a big way this week, and something like that can help them out an awful lot. I think it'll provide a lot of motivation for the players. Frankly, speaking to some of them on and off the record. Uh, you know, a lot of the defensive players, especially guys who were freshmen who didn't really play but were maybe recruited by Bresky, and then some of the offensive guys, I think they're excited to go up against that defense and, and put up a lot of points. I, I think uh, given the way everything ended, I think there's maybe a little animosity there between some of the players and the coach. And I just think they're excited to go out and the, the defensive players, they are really excited about Grinch. I think they're really excited to go show what they can do now. And, yeah, I, I think having some familiar familiarity with that defense is helpful I mean they haven't played against it in a couple of years and really they didn't play against it much when he was here except for a few scrimmages mm-hmm. but I you know I, I think it is similar to what they've seen from some other teams and it is Paul Petrino actually said during his press conference press conference this year it's not all that different from what uh, the Cougars run right now as a base other than the nickelback mm-hmm. um, th- although it doesn't have all of the uh, the shifts and pre-snap stuff and you know, I mean, Alex Grinch gets very creative with personnel and who's on the field and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in, in terms of what it looks like as a defense, I, I think I think it's certainly not drastically different than anything Mike Leach has seen in his decades of doing this and calling plays. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that'll be the reason the Cougars get an extra couple touchdowns or anything, but it's certainly not anything that's going to surprise them. Battle of the Palouse this weekend, and then a week off, kind of a week off for our intrepid reporter Jacob Thorpe. Do you get do you get to like enjoy the bye week at all? Do you get to kick back and have a few more beers than usual, or or do you get like a lot of work to do during those weeks? Well, you know, it just kind of depends on if they can uh, stay out of the police blotter during that week. <laughs> yeah, fingers point. crossed. But, uh, yeah. No, it, it should it should quiet down for a couple days, and it'll be nice to sleep in at nothing else. Golf at Palouse Ridge for Jacob Thorpe coming up in the bye week. Thank you, sir.
Back here on the Cook Center Hour, our thanks to Mr. Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review joining us to cover all things Washington State right now. We move from one newspaper man to another. Mr. Theo Lawson at the Lewiston Tribune covers the Idaho Vandals for that newspaper. And uh, Theo, so far this year, Idaho has you know, kind of done what I think they do early in the season. They play a lot of uh, non-conference opponents that can cut them a big check. They did play Montana State to open the year, squeaked by the Bobcats. Uh, but they spent last week getting dismantled by our uh, our in-state rival. That's that's kind of what Idaho does this part of the year. So it's kind of hard to tell exactly how good or bad they're going to be off these performances, isn't isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's the idea of, of Rob Spear and Paul Petrino to, to play a winnable game. The first game, ideally, that's a home game, so you get the team's confidence up. Scheduled Montana State this year. That was a very winnable game for them. First year head coach Jeff Choate. Cook uh, fans know him. Um, and and you know they, they scheduled that game to, to try to start out one and zero, and then and then yeah, you go into these these next two games where you're really just playing for a paycheck. And then you know every kind of middle tier FBS team has these games. Last year Idaho had one at the beginning of the year against SC, and then one later on against Auburn. So, so I think it's almost a, a positive that. You have two of them early on in the year, get them out of the way, and then you can kind of just focus on the Sun Belt slate. I want to talk about something more generally uh, kind of overarching and that Idaho football and I mean athletics is dealing with right now is obviously Idaho uh, has made the decision to go back to the Big Sky Conference here uh, in a couple of years, dropping back down to FCS, which is kind of unprecedented in college football right now. I know a lot of people that are Idaho fans were not particularly happy uh, with that decision to go down to FCS, just kind of based on your feel of the fan base or maybe your opinion on it, was was that the best decision for Idaho to go back to the FCS? Well, well there, there's definitely two sides of it. You know, I, I can't say which, which side I really fall on. I can see the positive, positives of both and the, and the negatives of both. Um, but you're right, it did, it did split the fan base really into into two sections. A lot of people didn't want to see Idaho go back to the FCS where they had been for so many years. You know, there's all the regional rivalries that they once had, Montana, Montana State, mm-hmm. uh, Eastern Washington, even Idaho State, a lot of local games that that fans up here can really travel to where, you know, no, no one's really going to go to a game down at Georgia Southern or Appalachian State. You know, they're yeah. going to travel to, to Missoula or, or, or Cheney, though. So um, th- there was that aspect of it. And, and of course, you kind of look at Idaho the last uh, – Few, few decades and they haven't been competitive as an FBS member. You know, of course, they're kind of surging right now. I think um, a lot of people would like to think and then uh, high expectations this year and, and maybe next year. Um, I, a lot of people are hoping they go to a bowl game this year. Of course, they went to the bowl game in 09. So, so in bits and, bits and pieces, they, they, they have shown that they can compete at this level. But for the most part, um, they're kind of at the bottom of, of the F, FBS pecking order. And so, and so I think a lot of people uh, just really, really wanted wanted to see their football team competitive again, and, mm-hmm. and making the move to the Big Sky would do that. And, and then, of course, there's the people who who see the success they're having now and say, "Well, we can be competitive in the FBS." And of course, um, the, the opportunities to to you know make more money um, at the FBS are there. You, you can go to bowl games. You, you get the the uh, college football uh, playoff revenue, and, and mm-hmm. then um, you know you, you make more money off off of those guarantee games than you would as an F- FCS member. Right. So I, I mean, this. The, how are they handling it, kind of uh, uh, recruiting wise? Because I know this is, you know, this might be difficult for some recruits to handle. You know, hey, you're going to come here, and while we're here, 
we're going to go back down to FCS. Is that affecting recruiting too much? Or do you think they've that Paul Petrino and his staff have kind of found a way to still get some talent on this football team despite uh, what they're going to be going through? Yeah, I think I think it does it definitely change the recruiting landscape, especially for this program. You know, Paul Petrino has so many ties in the South still from from his days at Louisville and in Arkansas, and you know he, he spent so much time down there as, as an offensive coordinator for his brother and and a, and a receivers coach. So he has a lot of a lot of really good relationships in the South, and and he's been able to, to recruit players to the South. Uh, um, well, well, he's been in Idaho just because he, he can tell these kids that hey, you know we're we're in the Sunbelt Conference, you're going to come home. Four to five times a year, regardless, because we're going to be playing teams in mm-hmm. uh, teams in Georgia, teams in Louisiana. So, so you're going to be able to see your family four or five times a year. Then you can go back home for the summer and, and Christmas and whatnot. Um, whereas as an FCS member, a lot of these kids don't want to play FCS ball as it is. Um, and, and the main reason they're coming to Idaho is because it's an FBS school. Um, and then you know, of course, you're not going to be able to go down and see your family as much if you're playing Eastern Washington and Montana every week. Right. So. Um, so, so I think it does kind of change how, how Paul Petrino has to recruit. He's, he's built um, some, some ties in, in the Northwest. This is his fourth year, so, so he's, uh, he's kind of getting to know the area. He's bringing in more kit, more local kids. Um, I, I think this last batch of recruits probably was the, mo- the, the most um, you know, Pacific Northwest-flavored class, I would say, that he's had. So mm-hmm. He's kind of getting there, but, but I think definitely as, as, as we move forward, he's going to have to really hit on the Northwest and, and, and really um, – kind of look in his own backyard in Idaho and Washington and and, and, and Oregon to, to find recruits. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the Vandal football players themselves. Obviously, the guy Paul Petrino has right now. Uh, Matt Linehan's taken uh, the majority of snaps for Idaho at quarterbacks, completed about 52% of his passes, thrown a touchdown and an interception. Uh, I know, you know, they've been kind of counting on Matt to get better uh, obviously for this season, because that's a big part of going to a bowl for them, correct, is they, they really need Matt Linehan to play well uh, in this offense and kind of have that quarterback they can really count on. Uh, I mean, he, he was the guy last year. Jake Lutton did get some snaps as well, but they really need Matt Linehan to step his play up this year, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and especially just because cause Jake Lutton did transfer over the summer. He left for junior college. It was kind of the thought that uh, they, they really had two starting quarterbacks coming into to this fall season. With, with Lunahan, uh, Linehan and Luton, excuse me, uh, Luton really had the stronger arm uh, of the two. Just just didn't have quite the game experience that Linehan did, and Linehan always did a good job with the offense. So that's why he mm-hmm. he was getting all the reps. Um, but Petrino likes him and, and is confident in him. But he never really felt too bad about having Luton in the game either. So now that Luton's gone, you don't really have much depth at the quarterback position. Of uh, Gunnar Amos is your backup, and then uh, Paul Sun Mason, who I was covering last last year at Pullman High School. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we may have to, to wait a few more weeks to, to kind of see 
how he's how he's fully recovered and if, if he's going to be the same quarterback that we saw last year. Offensively for Idaho, Theo, I don't think uh, many folks who primarily watch Washington State really know what they want to do offensively. Uh, just looking up and down the statistic chart, they have a lot of guys who get uh, rushing touches. You have Aaron Duckworth, who's gotten the majority of them so far this year with 24. He's back from last season. Uh, Mason Petrino ran the ball a little bit in their game against Washington. Uh, what does Idaho want to do on offense? Are they primarily a running team, primarily a passing team? What is kind of their MO uh, when they have the football? Well, well I think it depends on the personnel. That, that's always kind of how it's been under Paul Petrino. Right, right now, I would say that they're definitely more of a, more of a passing offense. Last year, you had a 1,000-yard rusher and Elijah Penny is now in the practice squad with, with the Arizona Cardinals, so so he's uh, kind of proven to be a player. He's a junior college guy. Um, so, so last year they, they did run the ball a little more than I think they usually would just because they had a reliable guy like Elijah Penny who, who could take 20 to 30 carries a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this year they're kind of still waiting for, for Aaron Duckworth to, to develop, and, and he's kind of the heir apparent to, to, to Elijah Penny. Had, had a really good game against Montana State in the opener, rushed for, rushed for 100 yards for, for the first time in his career, two touchdowns. So, so he really looks like he, he can be that next back. He's mm-hmm. more, maybe more explosive, has the breakaway speed that Penny didn't. Um, it isn't quite as big as Penny and probably can't handle as many, as many carries as, as Penny did last year. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I think it's still too, too early to tell what, whether he's going to be the guy that can kind of carry them mm-hmm. through the run game throughout the year or, or if they're going to have to lean more toward the passing game, which, uh, you know, we, we talked about Linehan, and then, of course, Linehan has a, a wealth of receivers um, you start out with Deion Watson, a receiver slash tight end hybrid who can kind of play both. He's he's really uh, kind of a deep threat and, and really a matchup problem for, for opposing uh, you know corners and then safeties. He's six four, so he's going to have uh, four to five inches on, on most DBs. He sees, mm-hmm. and, and then Trent Cowan is, is a tight end who who is on the Mackey Award watch list, and then he's um, a, a big guy who also had a touchdown in that UW game. So he's he's kind of a load, and then they have a bunch of other receivers. Callan Hightower is actually. The returning leading receiver, he's, he's a, a shorter, quicker guy who, who can get open and, and really um, eat, eat up yards after the catch. And so they, they kind of have a bunch of different options in the passing game. But but yeah, I would, I would to, to answer your question shortly, I, hmm. I would say that they're definitely more of a passing offense this year. Yeah, you look from last year, and you know you mentioned that they're a passing offense. I mean, Idaho had Desmond Epps last year. He was a playmaker for them when he was on the field, right? I mean, because he had some disciplinary issues to say the least during his time at Idaho so when the guy when he was on the field uh he was a pretty exceptional receiver do you think Idaho is going to miss him and his playmaking ability an awful lot this year or are they kind of well equipped to handle uh his loss of 61 receptions and about 760 yards well, well he was an extreme talent and um he, he was a guy that, that I, I saw possibly playing at the next level he, he didn't really have the size to, to kind of compete in the NFL maybe but but I saw him playing at you know at some level um, professionally, but you know honestly I think they're they're better off without him. He, he did create there's just so many problems off the field that, mm-hmm. that it almost wasn't worth uh, you know Idaho's time and Paul Petrino's time and, and you know when when he when he was on the field he, he was obviously the, the number one receiver and, and Matt Linehan um, he usually looked at him first and then targeted him first you know for good reason he he, he was able to turn small plays into big plays he, he was always open he, he could find him deep find him short um, use him. Out of the backfield, you, you know, they, they just have so many ways of using him. Um, now that he's gone, I, you know, I, I think they have so many weapons that, that Matt Linehan kind of looked to a few different guys. He, he's not just focused on one on one playmaker. And then, uh, you know, you, you kind of saw him spread the ball out a little more. You, you know, you, you didn't have one receiver uh, getting all the yards. And, you know, I, I think it was more spread out. 
Um, he, he was uh, sharing the love a little bit, and uh, so so. Well, well, Desmond Epps was a great talent, and uh, and Paul Petrino turned him into quite a receiver. He's a junior college guy. Um, you know, I I, 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 I don't think they're going to miss him too much this mm-hmm. year. Um, they have so much depth as it is, and and like I said, the, the off the field problems were, were just so repetitive that that it almost wasn't worth having him on the roster. And mm-hmm. uh, Paul Petrino ultimately decided uh, the same thing toward the end of the year. Defensively for the Vandals, uh, Washington State fans are familiar with the defensive coordinator, to say the least. Mr. Mike Bresky is the uh, defensive coordinator for Idaho in his second season. Uh, what are what did we see from the Vandals last year, and I guess in these first two games this year, Theo, did they get discernibly better, or how does Mike Bresky's defense look compared to how it had, how Idaho's defense had looked previously? Because I know Idaho's defense was not very good at all. Uh, prior to Mike Bresky's arrival, but has it gotten any better uh, since he started coaching in Moscow? Well, it's, uh, that, again, it's hard to tell just considering the opposition. Yeah. You play, you play a, an FCS Montana State team, and, and they, they did they did well against the Montana State. Let up uh, only 17 points. I think just the third time since since Bresky's been there that they've uh, you know conceded less than 20 points in a game. So so that was a positive. But then you know you, you go to UW and, and allow the, the Huskies to score 28 points and second quarter and take a 35 to zero lead at halftime you, you, you know you, you just can't really gauge uh, the, the progress of the defense you know after these two games and, and probably not you know until after uh after the UNLV game in two weeks you know it's, it's going to be probably another high scoring affair this week and mm-hmm. against Cougars um but but you know I, I I can see them being more comfortable in the system players know that the, the scheme's better uh you know that they're uh they're in more of a three-four now. They play with a buck linebacker, so, so that's different than the four-three that they had previously. Yep. Um, I, I think they're getting more comfortable, and um, they, they, they've really tried to add a lot of speed on the defensive side of things. I, you know, I, I think they were pretty successful in doing that. They, they lost a few defensive starters, but I think they had some guys behind them that, that were almost even better that just didn't really have as many opportunities to play last year. You look at a, a linebacker, middle linebacker, Tony Lashley. Uh, was injured most of last season, uh, didn't really get to play much, and then they bring back their leading tackler, um, outside linebacker, Keaton Ellis. He's, uh, I think, pro football focus, had him as, as a freshman All-American linebacker. So they bring back a, quite, quite a few players, and then, like I said, I think they're more comfortable in the system. Um, la, la, you know, Last week, I think the one positive is, is that Miles Gaskin only rushed for uh, 67 yards. Granted, that was only on 12 carries, so I, yeah. I think he still averaged almost six a carry, but Last year, that could have been 12 carries for 150 yards, just, just, just knowing this defense. So, um, you know, I, I, I think maybe they have improved just a little bit. Last year, uh, it, it was a little rough at times. Uh, they allowed 30, 40 points regularly. But, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, I think after that, that game at UNLV, and you get into that Sunbelt schedule where, where you can really kind of tell when they're, when they're playing, you know, uh, opponents that are more at their level, uh, whether the defense has improved. If it makes Idaho feel any better, Miles Gaskin gashes pretty much everybody for that many yards and that many carries. I mean, it's not yeah, an uncommon. Right, that's yeah, right. Not I, uncommon. I, I think I predicted 180 last week, and yeah. he, he only gave me 67, so I lost that bet. But uh, but I, you know, I, I think he'll be fine, and I, and I, I still think it's a positive. Keeping him under 70 is, is impressive, regardless mm-hmm. of how right. many carries he gets. Brunch time kickoff uh, for the Cougs and Vandals this Saturday, 11 a.m. in the morning. I don't really know if that benefits. I don't think it benefits anybody, but. Uh, Theo, your prediction for this weekend, uh, the last time these teams will play each other uh, while they're both in an FBS conference. So how do you think this kind of this last old Division 1A matchup is going to go on Saturday? Well, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a matchup that, that both teams are kind of suddenly really excited for. You know, I, 
I think uh, the, the Cougars expect definitely expected to be two and zero going into this game, and, and things have, have obviously changed for them. And and uh, now, now they're looking at this uh, as an opportunity to finally get on the win column. Um, so, so I think it means a little more to the Cougars now than it did maybe before the season started. And of course, for Idaho, you know, they, they've always kind of been on the losing side of, the, of this game. And um, talking to the Idaho players yesterday, they're, they're still considering this rivalry game. I'm not, I'm not sure if the Cougars are really looking at looking at it that way or if it's just another game. But, but the Idaho guys are, are certainly seeing this as a rivalry game. Mm-hmm. Of course, Idaho doesn't get to play, you know, their rivalry game against Boise State anymore. So, so they're kind of taking what they can get and, and considering this a rivalry game and um, and tr- trying to, to, to steal the bracken rights for the Blues. So, um, so, so, so I, I think there definitely is some excitement for this game. Like the 11 a.m. kickoff. So. It's kind of one of those games where you don't spend the whole day thinking about the game. You just kind of get up and go and play. I think that the players like that aspect of it. And, of course, as you mentioned, the last time they were playing as FBS members. And, of course, there was some drama after the game when they played last time. And <laughs> the two head coaches. So I think there will be more than a few cameras on the post-game handshake. And there are you know plenty of storylines. Of course, Mike Bresky being in Idaho now. And, you know, just kind of so many so many sidebars to this game that um, that, that I, I really think it is shaping up to be more interesting and, and more intriguing than, than it would have been you know, three weeks ago. Yeah, handshake gate number one. I hope, hopefully everybody's mowing the right. lawn, uh, mowing the lawn in the cul-de-sac now in Pullman. Theo Lonster from the Lewiston Tribune joining us to talk about the Vandals. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, thank you for having me. Our sincerest thanks to Mr. Jacob Thorpe and Mr. Theo Lawson for joining us here on the Kook Center Hour this week. Uh, ask Michael anything coming up next, but now Dunderhead of the Week, and I am... I, 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 I'm not a very self-aware guy sometimes, right? Like, I don't really know the situations around me. I'm, I'm terrible at reading a room at times. Really bad at that. I'm, I'm really bad at picking up when women before I met my wife and even afterwards she finds it hilarious I'm really bad at picking up at when they're hitting on me which is rare I admit but my wife finds it hilarious I, I, I'm not very self-aware guy so I try to give people a break sometimes they're not self-aware but driving to work this week and I wanted to stop and get some dinner on the way so I was driving northbound on the viaduct in Seattle and some of you you live in Seattle you know you can get off at Seneca Street right there and before you turn on to First Avenue, you have to have a green light, right? And First Avenue will stop traffic, and you can turn left or right off the viaduct. Light had changed. The guy in front of me was going a little slow. He was kind of poking his way out into the intersection. I didn't really know why. But right as he was about to get into the lane of traffic that you travel in, guy in a Mercedes blew by him. Absolutely 
flew by him, blew through the red light, and almost clipped this guy. I mere, mere inches away from a really bad accident. And I got around the other, the guy who was in front of me, got up to the next light where the Mercedes got caught, by the way. He had stopped at the next red light, which he apparently saw. And I honked and looked at him, and he kind of looked at me and shrugged and said, What? Dude, you almost just went metal on metal at like 40 miles an hour in downtown Seattle. I'm not aware of a lot of things, but brother, come on. It's a big old red light. They kind of aren't very difficult to miss. Ask Michael anything now. Ask Michael anything. We're short on questions again this week. What a surprise after we lose. <laughs> we even get a question from my sister. We're not, a, we're not afraid of nepotism on this show. What will you do if the Mariners make the playoffs and are you sad this is Vince Scully's last year? Um, running pantsless through the streets if the Mariners make the playoffs at this point. I think that's a pretty reasonable reaction last on my part. And I think everybody's sad it's Vince Scully's last year. In fact, everybody's so sad it's Vince Scully's last year. You guys know the Time Warner issue they've been having in L.A., right? Like, you can't get Time Warner Sportsnet on any, like, cable package in L.A. other than Time Warner. They're broadcasting the last six Dodger home games on KTLA. Because, like, nobody's heard Vince Scully all year. Which is a friggin' crime against humanity. At Hey D-Train Darren, Hey Michael, is it more depressing being a Cougar fan or a Mariner fan? Oh. <laughs> well, over the last 14 years, the Cougars have at least given me some joy at the end of a season. So, probably a Mariner fan. At this point, a Mariner fan. That's the bad thing. At Bobby Ellis 10, Bobby Ellis, what is your favorite IPA? Th this is going to be, I, this is the most useless freaking advice I have for anybody on an IPA. I can't remember what it's called, but I know it's brewed in Raleigh, North Carolina. I had it a couple of weeks ago while we were in uh, North Carolina visiting family. I cannot remember for the life of me what it is called, but I just know that it is brewed locally. It's like, there's, I think it's like Porch Swing Ale, Porch Swing IPA, something like that. I have to I'll text my brother-in-law and see, because now, now I feel bad that I'm not giving a complete answer to this. Uh, at Wazoo Cougar X, Shane Farm D B C A C P. I assume that means he's very smart. Am I insane to think this team will still win, or am I insane to think this team still wins eight plus games this season? I mean, considering that you still have Stanford and Washington on the schedule, eight seems like kind of tough to get to right now. Eight seems really tough. I, you know, because you got, you know, what, 10 games left, and you got to win all but two, at least. Yeah, I, I think eight's probably a stretch at this point, because even last year they didn't drop the first two. They won, they beat Rutgers, so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, let's, let's hopefully see what goes on against Idaho this weekend, then see if they can pound Oregon. My prediction for this weekend, Wazoo 45, Idaho 31. Yeah, I think it might be a little closer than some think. I'll see you guys in Pullman this weekend. See you next week on the Cook Center.